Hello and welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about copywriting. Does the blank page ever mock you, that blinking cursor flashing at your lack of ability to start this copywriting project, to write a killer headline or craft a first sentence that wows each and every reader? You're not alone. Starting a new copywriting project can sometimes feel like the biggest hurdle. So today we're starting a series about our complete writing process from blank page to the final draft. This episode is all about getting through that first draft. My name is Belinda Weaver. I'm a copywriter. My business is Copyright Matters, and that's where I have courses, coaching for copywriters of all levels. And with me, of course, is the very busy Kate Toon. Hello, my name is Kate Toon. I'm a copywriter, the founder of the Clever Copywriting School, which is a membership directory and copy shop and the recipe for SEO success online learning hub. And yes, I am so busy. (laughs) I'm dying. I'm dying. And it's very apt. Because as well as being super busy, I have literally got a blank page in front of me today because I have to write a blog post uh, for somebody. Uh, and I'm looking at this blank page thinking, how do I get started? So it's very wow. apt. I hope hopefully this episode will, I will inspire myself and you will inspire Excellent. me. Excellent. Let's uh, get stuck in because as I mentioned, we're digging into the writing process. Getting started, as you just explained, is really tough. And sometimes it can feel like the biggest hurdle you have to overcome. Like most things in copywriting, when you have a starting point, plug for our episodes on formulas and swipe files here and a process to follow, everything else can just kind of flow or at least it can feel a bit easier because you're not starting from scratch, nor are you reinventing the wheels. Two things we hate doing, right, Kate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're all about efficiency on this podcast and trying to have a successful copywriting business. And part of that is not recreating the wheel because obviously the more efficiently you can write and deliver, the more profitable you can be, but also the more confident you can be in the way that you present your content to clients. You know, you you can, your processes will help you look more professional. Absolutely. So once you have that copywriting brief from your client, so your proposal's been approved, you've gone through the copywriting brief, that's been approved. Now it's time to get down and actually start writing. I think the whole drafting process can be broken down into a few really big stages. You've got writing the first draft, which includes your research and whatnot. You've got delivery to the client. Then you've got to manage revisions then you've got to get the copy approved. Now, as the first draft is usually the most time-consuming, we're going to start with that and cover the revisions and approvals in the second part of this episode. So let's start with that blank page. What do you do first, Kate? How do you prepare? You've got your copywriting project. What do you do first? My first step is what I call a skeleton copy copy deck. So I have a copy deck template, which you can buy in the copy shop if you like. Um, And I know that you have a copy deck template that you've used as well, Belinda. So I have Mm -hmm. that as a starting point. It's kind of a paint by numbers word document, which is already set up with a table of contents and, you know, the title tag area and the meta description, the headline. So it's kind of, you know, you're, you're filling in the blanks sort of thing. But before I start filling in too many blanks, I create what I call this skeleton draft, which is the bare bones of what I'm going to write. So I will take the the brief that the client has given me and any competitive research that I've done and any notes that I've made on any calls, and I will just turn them into bullet points and I will put the bullet points on the relevant page. So 
The copy deck is set up to have a homepage and about page, all the various things that you would have, say, for a website project. So I just go through and try and get all the facts in there, put them on the page where I think they're going to sit. You know, I've got the bio of the of the CEO, so I know I can plop that on the about page. And I've got this list of services, so I can know that I can, you know, sort out my services pages get all the facts down, get all the data that I've got in very rough bullet points, not proofread, anything like that. And then I actually send that to the client to get that approved. And that all happens before I start my first draft. So it's kind of a pre-draft. And that's just to get, what's the point of that skeleton draft for clients? Um, I guess for me, you know, once you start writing in full paragraphs and trying to you know, insert tone and really get the flow of the copy going, it can be really difficult if the client comes back and says, yeah, that sounds great, but we forgot to tell you this, 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 and this, or yeah, that's brilliant, but we actually don't offer that service anymore because the brochure we sent you was slightly out of date or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And then you don't have to just go and replace the fact you have to rewrite all together. Um, I also find for me, the point is it's very easy to just make bullet point notes. You know, it gets me started. It gets me moving. It gets rid of the blank page. I get that fact checked by the clients and kind of say, look, obviously we can add bits and bobs, but this is the meat of what I'm going to write about. Have I missed anything? That gives me a bit of a breather while they're checking that. Mm. And then when I get it back, it's almost like I've got a crib sheet. I've got everything I need to say on the about page, all the bullet points, all approved. And then I'm just taking that information and turning it into paragraphs. So it, it, it's both makes it my life easier as a copywriter, but I think it gives the client a sense of reassurance. And I have always found that the more involved you get the client, it doesn't work with all clients, but the more you make them feel part of the process, the more bought into the final copy they are because they've been involved with it from day dot. You know, I don't like this approach of, sending the copy when it's 95% perfect because then you're kind of presenting it as a fait accompli to the client. Here's your copy. You better like it. Whereas if you involve them at every stage, they've got ample opportunity to, you know, say what they don't like. And you don't get that horrible thing of when you're at draft three, ready to send your invoice and they go, actually, I've reread it now and I don't like it, you know, because they've had so many opportunities to look at it. So do you do do that or do you go straight into a proper first draft? I go straight into a proper first draft. (laughs) So I'd like it, but I totally agree with that idea of getting the, um, getting the client as involved as possible. And one thing I do is I always, um, talk about the copywriting project as a collaboration. And I have lots of little approval milestones as well, just for the reasons you said they become complicit in the result in a totally good way. Um, what I do is, I'd start with a copy deck. I start, you know, when I was at university um, and high school, you know how you like you write big essays and whatever and you have to do a bibliography? I always did the bibliography first because I found the admin of getting my fingers moving um, just kind of got the ball rolling. And I do the same with my copy deck where I just start filling in little bits and pieces, the name and the contact and, you know, all that kind of stuff. What I then do is I read the brief again so I can kind of get the client's voice in my head. And I also create a a brief list of bullet points and often I pull bits straight from the brief and these are kind of just plonking stuff on the page so I know what has to be mentioned. And I often kind of write notes. That's what I I meant. That's what I do. I guess your point is don't stop there. You keep polishing, whereas I would just... Okay, so you 
you plonk the essential bits, but then you keep on going. Yes, I don't show that to the client, but that's just kind of for me to kind of go, here are the bits of information that I need to include. And it just feels like it breaks the blank page for me, which is the hardest part. But the next stage for me, rather than showing it to the client, is when I actually take a step back and do some brainstorming. I do my features and benefits analysis um, and I talk, I, I sort of think about the target market and the big picture payoffs and the themes for the copy. So I kind of put my bullet points to one side and I do this kind of brainstorming work. I th- we did a episode all about this so we'll link to that in the show notes and and that kind of gives me yeah these big themes and these big payoffs that I want to hang the copy on okay so then you present that to the client no no (laughs) so so that's when I would um go to my copywriting formula I would maybe sort of go, is there a copywriting formula that's suitable for this page? So I'm looking at some pretty raw chunks of information taken straight from the brief, half done sentences, bullet points, and then I kind of go, all right, what is the structure I need for this page? And that's when I start moving things around, filling it out, and do the actual writing. Okay, so similar because obviously my next step after I've got my skeletons out back from the client is to start on my first draft. And as with you, I would yeah. structure the copy. Um, I'd be you know, thinking about features and benefits. I'd definitely be going to my copywriting formulas now and kind of using those. I'd also, from an SEO point of view, if I'm doing website copy, this is where I would have you know, got my keyword research done, thought about my focus phrase and the synonyms that I wanted to use on the page and, you know, just have those highlighted somewhere so that I'm they're in the back of my mind when I'm starting to write. Um, now, in the notes we have here, Bill says, when, when do you send your sample? Um, I actually send my sample with the skeleton deck. So when I send my skeleton deck with all the messy notes, I also send one blob of copy, maybe the homepage copy, the USP or the opening paragraph, um, written for tone. Or sometimes I write the about page for tone. And I say, here's the skeleton draft. Can you approve all the facts and figures and information? And here's a tone of voice sample. Do you like mm. the vibe? Is it con- too conversational? What do you think of it? Um, so that when I get those back, I'm good to go. I know that they like the tone and I know that I've got my facts straight and now I can start structuring it. So do, do you yeah. send the sample as well? No. Nope. <laughs> oh, my God, it's so different. This is great. I think this, we've talked about this before, didn't we say Picasso and um, – Suzanne. Yes. So, I mean, I am I – am, I was going to say down and dirty, but that's not right. I'm, you know, <laughs> I sort of, I, but I would say, Belinda, you're a bit more of a perfectionist than I am. Would you agree with that? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think the reason I probably um, don't send the rudimentary stuff to clients, even though I think I think it has so many positive points, is because. I think early on, I just had some tricky situations where clients were a bit like, what is this? This is, this is not done. This is, and that probably had everything to do with how I presented it. Um, So there was a mismatch in expectations because I think it can work really well. Um, But yeah, I just, I get it a lot further along before I present it to the client. But in terms of that tone of voice, if I'm writing quite a few pages, I will tend to focus on one page first, probably the smallest page, and sort of go, right, here's this page. Here's the services summary page, for example. Um, How do you like it? So I do kind of get that sample, um, but it's, uh, it's not as structured. And if it's only like three pages on a website, 
I'll just write them all because I'd like to think that I've got a pretty good handle on it during the briefing stage. In theory. In theory. So you you don't send a sample sample at that point, but then so you're still in first draft mode. Yes. So what do you what do you do next? You actually do your writing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, once I've got the structure, like I'm sort of going, okay, I am going to use the the PAS formula. I'm going to open with a pain point. Then I'm going to agitate. Then I'm going to solve it. If I've got that on the page, then I start moving things around. And then I just kind of, I write. And I know you shouldn't write and edit at the same time. Um, I guess I just kind of write whatever comes into my mind. I often end up with a lot of half-written sentences, but I find that as I write with the work I've done, the brainstorming and the formula and the reading the brief a hundred times, as I write, my ideas kind of get clarity. So, I often end up going back to the beginning and rewriting the intro and then moving further down and then not liking sentences and then moving them out of the way. So I had this really iterative process. Um, it's not really finessing and editing, but it's just kind of as my ideas get more clarity, that's when I kind of move up and down the page. Do you, How do you do this? Yeah, same sort of thing. I kind of chip away at it. Like I'm not someone who can write in a linear way. Like I do the homepage, then the about page, then the next page. You know, I'll do bits and bobs. I'll often start with yeah. easy pages like the contact page and the FAQs page because I always find those quite easy. Um, yeah. But pages like the home page and the about page are really tough. So I might have a stab at the home page when I first start, but I know full well that I'll come back to that again and again. It's kind of like for me, here's I've got an analogy for you. For anybody who does coloring in, you know, some people take the approach of they color in a little section, whereas I can sometimes do the thing where I'll do all the black. And then I'll go back and do all the red and then I'll go back and do all the yellow. It's weird. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get that. And I remember, I remember seeing a documentary about Barbara Cartland. Do you know who Barbara Cartland is? The author. Yeah. The romance author. And she, when she wrote books, used to have, I think it was seven drafts that were printed on seven different colored paper. And there was a first draft that was this one. And then she went back and went through it again and then went through it again and went through it again. So I, I think, I think it's impossible not to write and edit at the same time. You're constantly self-editing. Yeah. Well, that sentence needs to be moved or I'll just re- – I can't help. I mean, it's it's a different kind. It's very fluid editing. Um, but, you know, yeah, I write and edit at the same time. I don't see yeah. how you can't, to be honest. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't I don't look at perfecting a sentence no. while the page is half done. Um, but I definitely I I do a lot of moving things around. And sometimes as I'm writing subsequent pages, I'll go, Oh, that's a really good sentence, but I'm gonna hook it over to this page. Yes. Because it fits oh, a bit better. Well, that's such a good sentence. I'm actually gonna save that and use it as a subheader on another page or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I as I said, I often end up with this clump of information at the bottom that I'm just not yes, willing to like, let go. Where do, where do I put this? I have a, like a page at the end where I've got all the things I haven't used yet and then you go back. The other thing I find is that when I'm writing, if I really am stuck, I do some formatting. You know, Belinda and I oh, love yeah. formatting. Oh, yeah. You know, like as you're writing, you know, fonts and stuff change. I might spend some time putting my 1.5 spacing and my Arial and my 11 point and, and you know, Give my give my right side of brain a rest and do a bit of left side of brain kind of stuff. Yeah, um, yes. And as I'm 
as I'm formatting, little ideas pop up again, or I go, really, those bullets could be in a better order, or maybe I should have a verb at the start of every bullet, or, you know, little things come up like that. So, yeah, yeah. that helps. And I definitely, like when we're talking about writing subheads, I, I play with different things. Like I might write them quite a, a few times as I go, well, let's try verbs at the beginning. No, I couldn't come up with all verbs. Let's try something yeah. else. Um, so I did a lot of, do a lot of that fiddling as well. Now, you mentioned research very briefly, and we have talked about this in another pod where this idea all came from. When do you do your research? Honestly, I don't, I know, I sound such a muppet. I never (laughs) did a huge amount of research because I often find that, you know, my client gives me most of the, it depends what you're writing, doesn't it? If you're writing a medical blog about something or other, then you're going to need to do research. But if you're writing sales pages for your client, your client's pretty much the best source of information, I find. So I get a lot from them. And what I try and do is because I do this kind of structured approach, I look for gaps. And if I'm, you know, if I've I've got to service page seven and I really don't have enough on that page to talk about, that's when I'll go out and start, you know, looking at competitors and looking at similar services and, and seeing what, you know, what I can maybe borrow or adapt mm. to pad out that page, not pad out, that sounds bad, but to, to, to fill the gaps, you know, or maybe that's the point where I go back to the client and say, look, you know, got really great pages on your first two services or your first three products, but product number four is, is looking a bit weak. Can we, can we talk about that a bit more? What, what is good about it? You yeah. Know? So that's, you know, I don't do research for the sake of research. I can't just sit there and research and make notes. I, I, I find that very boring. So instead I just research when I have gaps. Yeah. That's the way I do it. I absolutely do exactly the same thing. And what I find is useful about that approach is, well, I, to be honest, I'm very demanding in my copywriting brief. I really make the client tell me a lot. And so that example of kind of the third, fourth or fifth product or service being a bit light on detail, I can tell when the client kind of ran out of puff with all my questioning <laughs> because yeah. we start getting light on detail and that's, I do exactly the same thing. That's when I might do a bit of research. But I find if I can stay in the details that the client has provided me, um, I can stay in the zone with their personality and tone of voice and stuff like that. Yeah, and if you wander off and do too much research, you start to lose that thread a little bit and lose your own time. Yeah. And yeah, that's exactly right. And just, you know, gosh, the clients who go, can you just look at someone else's website and copy? Yeah. No. No, no I cannot. But I do, I do, you know, that, that's a complaint that comes up a lot in my copywriting group. But I do totally understand the client's point of view. Like if I, you know, I'm actually getting a piece of art commissioned, which is kind of crazy. I'm commissioning a piece of art, which makes me sound very bourgeois, but it's just my neighbor and she does really nice stuff. And, you know, very she could, you know, it, it's quite difficult to kind of articulate, um, you know, what I want. So I kind of said, I want something a bit like this and send her some pictures. Yeah. You know, and, and you've got to have a point of reference. So I don't, I don't think they mean literally copy. They're just saying, I've read through some sites and I really like this one. So I do want something pretty similar to this. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't know why we poo-poo that so much because obviously you're going to differentiate and make it different, but that's not the client's job to to do that. That's your job to pull that out of the client and to use your skill as a copywriter to make it different, you know? I don't know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I have had some clients who literally say, I don't want to tell you about it. Just go and copy their copy. Okay. But but you're right. It was up to me then to go, I mean, what I, what I like to be able to do is hear it in their voice. Yeah. Hear it in their 
words so I can capture that a bit more effectively. But, you know, especially when you're writing for industries that are a dime a dozen, you go, well, we do exactly the same as what that plumber does. And, and also, you know, yes, you want to invest every copy deck you write with beautiful tone and make it engaging or whatever. But as you said, a plumber's a plumber. There's only so many ways you yeah. can write that. And you look <laughs> at five different plumbing websites, probably they're all very similar. It's just that there's only so much you can say, I think. Yeah, but and one thing that um, you can actually get from doing a little bit of research, which is what is is good questions to go back to the client with, saying, "Hey, do you actually offer this, this, and this?" Because I notice a lot of plumbers do, yeah. and they go, "Oh, yeah, I just forgot to mention." Yeah, that's so it, it, it can kind of come in handy. Okay. Um, but so, so just summarising, we've we've beaten the blank page. We don't follow a lot of the rules that you know many writers, I think, do. Like, I, I mean, how many blog posts and videos and whatnot are about? properly structuring your copy before you even write anything. I'm so glad to hear you don't do that either. Yeah. We just shape our lumps. But how do you know your copy is client ready, ready to send? Um, I'm just going to write down we just shape our lumps because I love that and I want that to be on me. Um, shape your lumps, people. Uh, how do I know when my copy is client ready? I don't know if you ever really know. It's when I'm sick of it, when I feel like I, it's for me, it's more about me. It's more about when mm-hmm. I feel like I can't take it any further. Like I've, I haven't got stuff I need or often. And, and again, this is another reason for the whole skeleton draft thing. It was to be able to juggle work. So, you know, I would do a certain amount on the copy deck and then I needed to move to another client. So that was a perfect time for me to send what I'd done to the client. And I was just yeah. very good at kind of uh, uh, making it clear to the client, hey, look, uh, you know, I really want you to be involved in this project. So I haven't finished, but this is how far I've got with the first three pages. And I thought it'd be a great chance for you to have a little bit of input, see if it's flowing right before I crack on with the other three. Kind of true. Yeah. But also kind of I forgot I had a press release to write for my other client that's due at midday. So it's a way of keeping the plates spinning and batting the tennis ball yes. in someone else's court. And, that you know, we've got to be clever about things like that. It sounds very cynical and cruel, um, but it makes sense. And we've got to make our businesses work for ourselves. So, yeah, I, as I – You've got to spin. Sorry? You've got to give it a spin. Like you can spin yeah. it to a client in a really positive way. You don't need yeah. to tell them. Yeah, I'll actually work on someone else's stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think with the skeleton deck, it's it's when I've, you know, got all the bullets and stuff on that I can and I've written um, a small tone sample, then that's ready to go to the client. But then in terms of first deck, first draft stage, you know, if it's a huge copy deck, like 30 pages, I might send them five pages and then I might send them the rest or something like yeah. that. I break it up a lot. I think I bro- seem to break it up a lot more than you do, but, um, yeah. It's because I don't have a very long attention span. <laughs> For yeah. me, I send it to the client when um, when I'm overwriting the copy and I call this the stage when I'm moving the deck chairs and I shouldn't use the Titanic because it's not really a good boat to use. But what I mean is I'm doing pointless changes that isn't actually making anything significantly different in the copy. And that's just because I'm a bit nervous about handing it over. And that's when I know it's ready because what I'm doing is I'm just burning through time and that's not profitable. The other time I send it over is if I need, like maybe if I'm taking a chance on something, I'm taking a new direction and I might've discussed it with a client, but if I've got one page where I'm like, you know, that really cool idea we had, this is it. 
you need to have a look at this before I go and do it to the other pages. Yeah, exactly. It's when you feel that you need, I think the attitude should be not when it's completely finished and polished and you're proud of it, but when you feel you want some input from the client, because it is a collaborative process and often the client can re-energize you and and bring you along. I mean, I'd say that, you know, if my skeleton deck takes it 10% of the way there, my first draft takes it 80% of the way there. So by the time I've done my first draft, I'm not expecting the second and the third draft to be dramatically different, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I do when I hand it over, um, I go to quite, not extreme lengths, but I'm very careful to explain this is the first draft. You have two more revision cycles to go through. So there's plenty of time and scope to to finesse any changes and, and get it to where we need it to be. And I try to make sure that they don't expect that first draft to be perfect. I also point out that it hasn't been proofread because I want them to focus on the ideas and the concepts, not the punctuation. Um, Yes. Do you have any kind of special handover spiel that you give to clients or process? I I mean, I've got a whole set of emails for each stage of the process. So, you know, my first email um, says, this is what to look at in this draft. The second email says, this is what to look at, but this is what not to look at. Don't worry about typos. Don't worry about this, you know. So, yeah, I've got a whole set of email templates that I use um, that I'll link to in the show notes. Um, And another thing I think this is really valuable with the client is, you know, most clients will have never seen a copy deck. They will have never worked with a copywriter. They don't know what to expect. And when you hand over your 20-page, beautifully formatted copy deck, they're going to freak the hell out. So, I would always kind of say, hey, are you around tomorrow at 10? Because what I'll do is I'll shoot over the copy deck and we can go through it together. And I would only send the copy deck over like five minutes before the call. So they hadn't had a chance to look at it before I started explaining it because they would just get so overwhelmed. Another alternative is that you send the copy deck over with a Loom video. I love Loom. I love Loom. So you make a little, yeah, you make a little Loom video of you just talking through you know, here it is, and this is the table of contents, and then we come down here. This is where I'm talking about the navigation, and this is your homepage. This is the approach I took here. I did this, I did this, and this is what I need from you. That can be really helpful, so the client's got that to listen to while they're going through the deck. Um, and also, it's just a really nice personal touch, and I find that clients really appreciate mm. that. I mean, we're going to um, do a special episode all about copy decks because um, – I think your copy deck's a bit more complicated than mine, but I know we tick off a lot of the same boxes. But as you said, um, they're going to get this document that you've put a lot of time and effort into. And if they've got more than one page, there's going to be a lot of content to read through and it can just feel a little overwhelming. So anything you can do when you hand it over to A, focus their attention on the fact that it's a draft, focus their attention on what they need to be looking at and what they don't need to be looking at and help them keep that focus to get the revisions that you need back. Because I think a lot of clients just don't know how to give you feedback, which I get because I do that with graphic designers and website. I'm like, I don't know how to tell you what I'm thinking because I can't really articulate it. So I feel clients' pain. So I think, you know, when you're doing your proposal right at the beginning of this process, it is important to allow that discussion time, not just for briefing, but for a couple of chats in the project. I mean, you don't want to have that situation where the client's ringing you every five minutes. And if that happens, you need to push back on them and say, look, go through the whole deck, make all your comments on it, and then we'll have a chat after that rather than ringing me every time you find something. Uh, And I I don't think we're talking... 
you know, just about track changes and how to add comments. It's literally how to tell me what you like and what you don't like. Are there words on the page that you would never use? Uh, You know, does it, does it read it out? Does it sound like something you would say? Um, Help the client understand how to give feedback in more than a literal how to use word. Yeah, but we're going to be talking about that in a lot more detail. So you've got some cool tips there ahead of the next episode. We're going to cover getting revisions that you can actually use, um, handling revisions that give you nothing and actually getting that final approval on the on the project. And that stage is often super easy or it kind of makes you think that this copywriting game is not for you. But as always with the right processes, you can make it smooth for you and the client. Did you want to uh, wrap up with anything, Kate? No, I think we're, we'll, we'll, we've covered that. They're quite different approaches. Um, and which I like, and that's okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, and I think, you know, different things will work for you. Try Maybe try, um, you know, a skeleton draft on one project or working through till, you know, first draft stage on another and see which one uh, works with you. Also gauge it by the client. Some clients want to be super involved and, you know, skeleton drafts yeah. and sending a few pages and sending tone samples are perfect for them. If your client's time poor and isn't answering the phone and takes ages to send the email, might be better to take it a bit further, but be cautious. We'll talk about this in the next episode. Don't take it so far that when the client does come back and give feedback, you're devastated because you've put all your yes. effort in and you've used up all your time. Don't do that. The yes. client is allowed to give feedback, but we'll talk about yes. that in the next episode. Cool. All right. Well, regular listeners know this is when we read out a review of the show. And today we're giving a big shout out to Lucy from Baby Berry Collective. And Lucy wrote for us, I just love listening to this podcast when I'm out walking during the week. Although I'm not a copywriter, I'm a small business owner who writes a lot. The tips are endless and I get so much out of listening to all the various topics covered. I'll often stop mid-walk and quickly jot down some notes in my phone so I can put them into action when I'm back at my computer. You guys work so well together. It's such a joy to listen to. Thank you. No, thank you, Lucy. (laughs) And thanks to you for listening. If you like the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on iTunes and or Stitcher. Your review helps other copywriters find us, all small business owners who write a lot. And of course, we'll give you a shout out on the show. If you've got any thoughts about this episode, head to hotcopypodcast.com. And that's it. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Belinda. Until next time, happy writing. Thanks for listening right to the end. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy my two other podcasts. I have one called The Recipe for SEO Success, which is all about SEO tips, advice, and helping you grapple the Google beast. And my other, The Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur, which is all about dealing with the stresses of running your own business. You can find both of them on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's all, it's all, it's about process. So I think you'll, you know. That's our happy place.